You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. CISA urges everyone to take the Microsoft Exchange server vulnerabilities seriously. The SolarWinds compromise is also going to prove difficult to mop up. The U.S. is said to be preparing a response to Holiday Bear's SolarWinds compromise. Some of that response will be visible, but some will not. A plea for more OSINT. Ben Yellen ponders face-scanning algorithms in the job application process. Our guest is Sam Crowther from Casada, asking why we're still talking about bots. And dragnets haul in some cyber crooks. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, March 9th, 2021. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is urging all organizations across all sectors to address Microsoft Exchange Server vulnerabilities. CISA has provided a set of guidelines designed to walk IT security staffs and organizations' leaders through the process of fixing the vulnerabilities. Exploitation is ongoing, attackers may have established themselves in their victim systems, and there's more to an effective response than simply patching. As the U.S. National Security Council tweeted late Friday, quote, Patching and mitigation is not remediation if the servers have already been compromised. It is essential that any organization with a vulnerable server take immediate measures to determine if they were already targeted, end quote. Organizations affected by both the Hafnium attack against Microsoft Exchange Server and the Holiday Bear campaign that centered on a SolarWinds Orion supply chain compromise are finding their security teams feeling overtaxed, FCW writes. That doesn't in itself make either incident a resource attack, but resources are being affected nonetheless. Recovery will be a long slog. From the point of view of Hafnium and Holiday Bear, that's probably just gravy, but the gravy probably tastes pretty good to the threat actors about now. Cybersecurity firm Domain Tools this morning published an overview of how they see the SolarWinds incident as affecting security practices. Among several conclusions, one stands out. There will probably be a new interest in threat hunting. As they put it in their report, quote, 
Organizations have slowly yet steadily reallocated resources and budget over the last five or six years to build proactive threat hunting teams to combat advanced persistent threats and enhance their incident response speed and accuracy. Threat hunting as a formalized practice within an existing cybersecurity team has been steadily making inroads toward becoming mainstream, and solar winds might be the event that puts it over the edge in industry validation. Of the 20% of security organizations that will receive increases to their budget as a direct result of solar winds, threat hunting tooling is where the most additional resources will go to support. End quote. The U.S. government continues to suggest that it's mulling a range of responses to holiday bears romp through solar winds, and the New York Times quietly redacted its perhaps excessively muscular headline from cyber strike to retaliation, as well as muting some of its text. But Computing cites various sources who speculate that the U.S. response will be both seen and unseen, with the mostly unseen coming first, visible enough to Mr. Putin and his intelligence services, but not to most of the rest of us. The sources said, The first major move is expected over the next three weeks, adding that these would involve a series of clandestine actions across Russian networks that are intended to be evident to President Vladimir Putin and his intelligence services and military, but not to the wider world. End quote. That, of course, and more economic sanctions, which would be visible to everyone. But at this stage in bilateral relations between Washington and Moscow, economic sanctions against Russia are already so extensive as to be deeply affected by the law of diminishing returns. General Paul Nakasone, Director NSA and Commanding General of U.S. Cyber Command, last Thursday said that Cyber Command would be playing a key and ongoing role in the U.S. response, and he spoke at some length about how Cyber Command would be supporting agencies like the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security. He also emphasized, however, as Breaking Defense reported, Cyber Command's Defend Forward concept, and Defend Forward has been characterized as referring to activities that include executing operations outside U.S. military networks. Any such action undertaken by U.S. Cyber Command or NSA would, if significant enough, be referred to the White House for approval, review, and modification by the National Security Council. An essay in Foreign Affairs argues that intelligence agencies face a bear market for secrets and that they should adapt to work in the growing and increasingly transparent world of OSINT, among other things, doing so would necessarily involve overcoming the widespread human tendency to confuse cost with value. The essayists rightly point out that a call for more attention to open-source intelligence isn't new, going back at least as far as Admiral Stansfield Turner, who was President Carter's director of central intelligence in the late 70s. They see the intelligence community as oriented toward exclusive compartmented sources and methods— and they argue that this not only tends toward narrow, siloed analysis, which in fairness is part of protecting not only restricted intelligence, but also the sources and methods used to build it, but that it also overlooks the considerable growth of commercial intelligence companies. These offer access to collection and analysis that incorporates everything from cyberspace to high-resolution overhead imagery. The authors suggest, as part proposal, part thought experiment, 
establishing a platform managed by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, through which intelligence professionals could easily and quickly access OSINT from such non-traditional sources. This wouldn't replace the intelligence community's traditional closed architecture, but it would, at the very least, afford a useful source of alternative viewpoints and analysis. And finally, some news of collars in the world of cybercrime. Police in the Spanish province of Catalonia have arrested four men on charges of allegedly operating the Flubot malware, an Android Trojan that's been used mostly for stealing banking credentials. The record by Recorded Future reports that some Flubot activity has persisted, but that it's not clear whether some other members of the gang remain at large and active or whether some of the Flubot servers are just running on inertia. The Czech Republic has extradited two alleged Ukrainian goons to the Northern District of Texas, where they face U.S. federal charges of providing money laundering services to cyber gangs. And the South Korean National Police have nabbed an alleged Gandcrab affiliate on charges of distributing the ransomware to South Korean targets. The record says the police tracked the young gentleman through his cryptocurrency transactions. So, from Prague to Barcelona to Dallas to Seoul, well done, law enforcement. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. If, like me, you are of a certain age, you may remember lining up outside your favorite store to be the first on your block to get the newest hot Atari video game or perhaps a Star Wars action figure. These days, most of that queuing takes place online, and instead of worrying about the kid down the street beating you to it, 
Hot items like PS5s or the latest sneakers find themselves snatched up by bots to be later auctioned off to the highest bidder. Sam Crowther is founder at security firm Casada, where they have their sights set on beating the bots. As a society, right, as we're doing more things in a world where it's harder and harder for us to have a level of assurance that the the other people that we're interacting with from a you know social media perspective or the people who are interacting with us from an organizational perspective online are actually who they say they are and yet the the problem's only getting worse just because we're enabling uh, we're enabling everyone to do more things online right we're enabling people to book vaccines online we're enabling you know people now to perform transactions online thanks to covid that were you know maybe previously only ever done in the real world. And so it's creating more and more avenues for abuse at the end of the day. Can you give us a rundown of, of the spectrum of, of types of bots that are out there, the, the places where they're causing trouble? I think we could, you know, probably break them down into to two main categories, right? There's, there's bots who are there to, to influence Right, and that's you know very popular amongst disinformation campaigns. They're to, to look like real humans to spread ideas, and there's ones that are used you know on a on a bit more of a personal level for you know real monetary gain. So that could be everything from your more traditional fraud, uh, right, where you're washing credit cards that have been stolen through a payment gateway, um, you're stealing credentials to break into people's accounts, you know, or it could even be that the personal gain of getting someone in line for, for a vaccine ahead of everyone else. So what can folks do here? I mean, if, if I'm an online retailer, how do I ensure that my customers are going to be getting the best experience by trying to keep bots out of my system? Yeah, so I think the first step in dealing with this sort of issue is, is trying to isolate and understand the problem because it is going to be you know, somewhat unique to every business based on what you're doing online. So looking at the data that you have access to about who these uh, items are being sold to, information about how they're interacting with the website, whilst it is a retroactive exercise, can give you a good insight into how bad the problem may or may not be, right? You could also take customer feedback, you know, from, you know, if everyone's complaining that they can't get their hands on them, you know, maybe there's something to look into. And from there, it's really I think, got to be solved initially with technology. Uh, the, the reality is it's very difficult to see this type of behavior. And so you need to work with um, you know, someone at least who has expertise in this area and can help you isolate that traffic and then subsequently deal with it and prevent it from stealing what the humans are entitled to. That's Sam Crowther from Casada. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. 
That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Also my co-host over on the Caveat Podcast. Ben, great to have you back. Good to be with you again, Dave. Uh, There is a fascinating story uh, from the Washington Post. This is written by Drew Harwell. um, And it's uh, titled, A face-scanning algorithm increasingly decides whether you deserve the job. Uh, This is an older story here, but uh, I think it... uh, it speaks to uh, some issues you and I have uh, certainly been discussing on the Caveat uh, podcast here. What's going on? So, yeah, this is in November 2019, which seems like, you know, eons ago. But as you say, it's still very relevant. So there is a company called HireVue, which uses uh, artificial intelligence to give an employability score to various applicants. Uh, it's hard to know exactly what goes into uh, the secret sauce here, but some of it has to do with facial movements, um, word choice, speaking voice, uh, you know, the types of things that to me seem to be rather insignificant in terms of uh, judging potential employees if you're an employer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this has been persuasive to some of the country's largest employers. They mentioned Hilton uh, as one of them here. They've used uh, this company called HireVue. Uh, to help analyze applicants. So a lot of privacy advocates are um, not surprisingly up in arms saying it's a very disturbing development that we have technology that claims to be able to distinguish between a productive worker and a non-productive worker based on tone of voice, mannerisms, facial expressions, etc. And that it could end up hurting large classes of potential applicants, including non-native speakers. Um, you know, from a human perspective, I just don't, I I can understand the use of artificial intelligence in any context, uh, that you can think of, even if I don't agree with it. Yeah. This just seems like it's completely unnecessary. I mean, even large companies would benefit from having face-to-face interactions with their employees and judging them by their experience, you know, their, their characteristics, uh, you know, how they come across in an interview. This just seems like a very bizarre thing to siphon off to artificial intelligence. Well, the, the case that they make here is that if you have a, a hot job and a thousand people apply for that job, only one person's going to get the job and it, they don't just don't have the resources to to meet you know, with 999 people that this, this uh, gives them a way to allow people to submit a video of themselves and let the let the AI have at it uh, and decide whether. And I'm laughing here because it, it, again, it just seems absurd, and yet uh, companies are finding this useful. Here, here's the problem I have with it, and and, and this is what brought this um, what what brought this to my attention was somebody referenced this article in a tweet about. Um, the differences between people from different cultures, right? So, you know, let's say you grew up uh, in one culture, I grew up in another culture. You know, some I'll just be hypothetical here, you know, an Italian-American family versus an Irish-American family, right? And if I go have dinner with your family, it might be a very different 
environment than what I'm used to. The way people are communicating, you know, using their hands, talking over each other, or, you know, different uh, people communicate in different ways. And artificial intelligence, what might be uh, run-of-the-mill conversation with one social group may be perceived as being aggressive or um, argumentative, right? And and how do you how do you handle that subtlety? I I'm not convinced the AI can do that. No, I mean it's one of those things where as humans we have biases, of course, uh, right. and those factor into our hiring decisions. And you see it all the time: attractive people who are well spoken, you know disproportionately get hired over unattractive people who are not well-spoken, even, you know, if all other aspects of their applications are the same. Right. Uh, And, you know, there are certainly racial elements to it. Um, When you send people identical resumes, uh, you know, with one name sounding like a white person, one name sounding like an African-American person, you get very disparate uh, responses. But my question is why we would want to bring those things, which to me are, are negative, uh, into like why would we want to transfer that over to an artificial system? The, I think the solution would be rooting that out in the non-artificial system, be, becoming more aware of our biases, not sort of transferring them to a non-human entity like artificial intelligence. And that's what's so baffling mm-hmm. to me um, is I'm just not sure what problem this is trying to solve. Um, there are other ways that you know you can cull down resumes, even for jobs where there are, you know, where there is a lot of interest, Um, you know, having certain thresholds in terms of experience, you know, even things like uh, grade point averages, universities, those are a a lot more objective and less subjective than the types of things that are being analyzed by this, uh, by this system. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, maybe we're just missing the boat here and they, I mean, clearly they've got customers and folks who believe in it. So, uh, Maybe we're just we're uh, maybe we're out. just we're cynical and jaded here, but uh, I don't know. I, I think it's definitely worth keeping our eye on this. Uh, it just uh, doesn't doesn't set. Uh, it just makes me a bit unsettled. And it sounds like you and I are in the same boat. I think so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. The big train for small hands. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. 
Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 